You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Uh, if you have your Bibles, 2 Samuel. One of the things that we have in common as humans, whether rich, famous, gifted, successful, powerful, we all have dreams. And King David uh, was no different than that. And one of the things that I think is a, as the church that maybe we failed to embrace is that commonality that every human has uh, of, of dreams that have been dashed, of things that they wanted to do with their life that never happened, and of, of careers they wanted to pursue, of children they wanted to have that they're unable to, of sports they wanted to play that they weren't talented enough, of instruments maybe they wanted to to play that they couldn't ever find the talent. Just all these dreams that people have, and, and we all have that in common. And I think that's uh, an inroad that we have uh, in giving people hope beyond this life and giving people something uh, that will show them that although their, their dreams maybe didn't come to fruition, that God has such a great plan for their life, and I think that's something we need to to remember. And as we look at our text tonight, Second Samuel chapter seven, we see that David has a dream that isn't going to come to pass for him. It's something he wants to do for God, and yet God isn't going to enable him to do it and and allow him to do it. Although God has a much bigger plan and in a much grander dream to bring to pass in David's life, something that he could never even imagine. And as we look at our lives, and maybe you you think, you know, there was all these things I wanted to do that I didn't get to do. Places I wanted to see, and the, the person I wanted to become, and it never happened. And yet we look at our text tonight, and we see that God has a great plan. And that we need to begin to see our dreams, and our hopes, and our aspirations through the filter of Jesus Christ and and allow Him to dictate what it is that He wants for us. And I think the theme of this text is that we've got our plans, but God has better ones. We have our plans, we have our dreams, we have our aspirations, but God has better ones. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart plans his way, he, he, he has goals, he has dreams, and yet it's the Lord that directs his steps. And in verses 1 through 3 of 2 Samuel 7, we see David's dream. Remember, David is now the king of the entire nation of Israel. That dream has come to pass, something that he's been waiting for, for approximately 15 years Something that God had promised to him, and yet there was a great deal of preparation that had to go on in David's life as Saul has tried to kill him time and again. And as so many trials, and David has lost everything in his life, being found alone in the cave of Adullam after having so much and having all that stripped from him and waiting on God, now all that has come full circle and David is now the king of Israel. Everything that David wants, he can have. Everything is at his disposal. He's powerful. He's rich. He's famous. He's successful. 
And yet there's something that David wants to do, and his heart is right. He's got a dream that he wants to do for God, and yet God is not going to allow him to do it. It says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, when David was dwelling in his house. Notice that the text says he's the king. I want you to compare that to how God describes him in a few verses. The king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. And so... David is no longer having to fight against Saul. He's no longer having to fight against the Philistines, at least for now. He's he's won those battles. So many trials have come and gone in David's life. Things are, are really going smooth for him now. The Lord has given him victory. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And so David is comparing the house that he lives in, this mansion, this palace, this kingly quarters made of cedar, which doesn't sound like a lot to us, but in in that area, that was a, a, a really rare thing to have a house made of wood, to have a house made of cedar, and it was very expensive. And David's looking around at his house, and he sees how nice it is, and then he's probably looking out over the city. Remember, they've taken over Jerusalem. He's looking out over the city and he, he sees the tabernacle. You remember that, that tent that God had Moses make for the wilderness as they were traveling around in the wilderness. Every time they would move and go from place to place, they would need to uproot the house of God. And so it couldn't be a stationary building. It had to be something that was easy to take down and take to the next place and It didn't look like much from the outside. It was a bunch of animal skins. On the inside, it was amazing. But on the outside, it was just sort of blah and mundane. And David's looking at that as it's set up now permanently in Jerusalem. And he's looking at it going, look at my house and look at God's house. Look where the ark of the Lord is. This isn't right We need to do something about this. And David has a dream. David begins to to imagine. He begins to think, look, I've got the money. I have the resources. I have the manpower. I'm the king. I can build God a house. And Nathan, the prophet, said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And how often we say things to people impetuously. We, We say things figuring that what could be the hurt? Where's the harm? I mean, he wants to do something for God, and yet Nathan hadn't really prayed about it. He hadn't really sought the Lord as if to see if this is what he would have. He just said, go for it, David. Do what's on your heart. Surely God is going to get behind this. But it happened that night. And so David's dream, David has a, a desire here, but when we see the will of God, it's completely different from what David's dream is. And we see here in verses 4 to 17, God's word about this. We've seen David's word, we've seen his heart, we've seen his dream, and now we see God's will, his word. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? Now, it's all in how you read this. It's all in how you kind of interpret this. But essentially, God is saying to David, as we're going to see in the rest of this text here, David, everything you have, I've given you. 
yes, you're a king and, and it seems that you're pretty impressed with the fact that you're a king. And the first three verses, it says time and again, the king, the king. But here in verse 5, it says, go and tell my servant, my slave, David, I'm your king. Are you going to build me a house? Do I need you, David? Do I need you to build me a house? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, David, have I ever expressed that I'm not satisfied with this tabernacle? Have I ever said that I wanted something more, that I, that I wanted a house? David, this is your idea. This is your dream. But I've got something else in mind. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, my slave, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. Notice that when it was David's dream, it was, it was about David. I'm going to do this. I, I've got a plan. And now God puts David in his place. And he says, David, have I ever said I wanted to do that? Has there ever really been a time that I've indicated that I need you to do anything for me? Or has it always been about me blessing you? Let's get this straight. And you notice all the personal pronouns that God is going to use. Starting really in verse 5. My servant me to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house. Verse 7, whenever I have moved, I, have I ever spoken a word to anyone whom I commanded? Verse 8, I took you from the sheepfold. Verse 9, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And so God is making it very clear through Nathan, David, it's not about you, my friend. It's never been about you. It's about me. I took you out of the sheepfold. Remember? You, you were living in obscurity. You were the least in your father's household. I chose you. And, and God would say that to us as well. He chose us. Not because he looked ahead and saw how faithful we, we would be. Let's never interpret the foreknowledge of God that way. Some want us to believe that when the Bible talks about foreknowledge, that somehow God looked ahead and he saw what we would do. That is absolutely gutting God of his sovereignty and of his power. God makes it very clear that this is an arbitrary, sovereign decision on his part, that it's independent of us. It's independent of David. I took you, David, from the sheepfold. This was about me. Let's not make this about you. You have dreams. You have aspirations. That's great. We've got our plans, but God has better ones. A man's heart plans his way, but God directs his steps. And we're going to see with David here that he quickly comes off of his dream. And he's teachable. And he's able to be molded and shaped by God. And that's the important thing for us. 
as long as we're able to be molded by God, as long as we are able to let go and say, God, whatever you want to do. And notice at the end of verse 11, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. David, you want to make a house for God, but God actually wants to make a house for you. God's got plans for you. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will set up your seed after you, your son, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, just like we find regularly in the Old Testament with prophecy, there's always a distant aspect to it and a near aspect to it. And we're going to see that. There's fulfillment of this that's future and, and still yet future, even from today, certainly from this time when the prophecy was given, but even further than that. And then there's near fulfillment, a dual fulfillment. It's clear in this text. David will have a son. Specifically, we know this son is Solomon, the second son he had with Bathsheba. And this son would carry forth his kingdom. God says, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. A couple things. God, in in a sense, is capitulating to David's dream, but it won't be David that gets to do it. It's going to be his son. But there's the near fulfillment that we know comes through Solomon, who built God a magnificent temple. Not because God wanted it. I don't think God ever wanted the temple. In fact, we know that as we go into the New Testament and we look at Acts chapter 7 and we we see Stephen there being martyred because he dared to speak against the temple. And Stephen gave a history of the Jewish people. And one of the things that he says, and you can check this out on your own, is basically God wasn't impressed with the temple. He was never as into the temple as the Jewish people were. He didn't need that. It wasn't something that God was at all impressed by or drawn to nor limited to. See, and that's the problem when you begin to to limit God to a building or to a place. And certainly there's application in that today as people think about the church as the place where they go to meet God. And yet the church is wherever we're at. We are the church. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we are, are the dwelling place of God. He, he's made us in His image. And so wherever we go, God is with us. God is not contained in a building. And He, he also says, okay, Solomon is going to build you a house, but I'm going to establish the throne, your throne, David, forever. And so there's a near fulfillment, but then there's a distant fulfillment that obviously didn't come through Solomon because Solomon died off and then his sons took over and they had a a battle over who would take over the kingdom and it split the nation. Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so what is happening here is that God is speaking of something that would happen in the future through the line of David. And so who's he pointing to? Certainly he's pointing to Jesus Christ, who would be on the one hand a son of David because he came through the line of David, but the Bible also says that he's David's Lord. So he's the son of David, speaking of his humanity. 
but he's also the king and the Lord of David, speaking of his deity. And so in that, we have what's called the hypostatic union. That is that he's the God-man. He perfectly is the union, 100% man, 100% God. And we see that right here in the sense that he's the son of David, but he's also the king of David. And he would be the one that would establish David's kingdom forever because Jesus will sit on the throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, see here's the the near fulfillment. Obviously Jesus didn't sin. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so, again, we have this near and distant. Near, this, this king is going to be a sinner. He's going to, to need redemption. And that redemption would come through Jesus who would establish the throne forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And so Nathan was faithful to say everything that God told him to say. Which I think is interesting in, in light of the fact that this wouldn't have been an easy message to deliver. He knew how excited David was to build this temple. And whenever God tells us to say something, whenever God gives us a word for someone else, we need to be faithful to deliver that as difficult as that might be. Also, it's interesting to me that God didn't just speak to David. He could have just went to David that night and spoke to him, but he chose to use Nathan as his instrument. And sometimes God will choose to speak to others through you. And you might think, well, the Lord will show them. You know, he'll speak to them. I mean, they have a Bible. Why do I have to do it? Why do I have to be the messenger? Well, Nathan could have said that as well. Hey, you know what? Lord, I mean, you've got his phone number. You talk to him. This is not an easy message to deliver. In fact, I don't know how he's going to react to this. I I told him yesterday, go for it. Do all that's in your heart. I don't really want to go back on that now. But he was faithful to go to him and say, look, I spoke too soon. God's not into this. God's going to build you a house. God's going to establish your throne forever. But it's not going to be the way you think it is. Nathan was faithful to deliver God's word. We've got our plans, you guys, but God has better ones. You may have made a lot of plans for your life and you may have a lot of dreams and a lot of things you want to do and maybe some of those things have kind of fallen off and you realize that's never going to happen but you still have other things and you know what? Five years from now, you might be checking that off the list saying that's never going to happen now and if you're putting all of your focus and all of your energy and all of your hope in those things then when you don't get to do them Then you grow discouraged and depressed and that's when people turn to any number of other things to try to find fulfillment because my dreams have been dashed. My hopes didn't come to pass. And I think what we learn here is that we have to find our fulfillment in God's plan for our life, in God's purpose and see that being fulfilled through Jesus. This this section here is the Davidic covenant. It's God entering into covenant with David. And God has done that with three other individuals as well, starting with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, the Noahic covenant, and then Abraham 
in Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, and then with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. And God entered into covenant with them. But one thing you'll notice in each of those covenants, it's always God establishing the covenant really independent of the person he's establishing the covenant with. And this covenant that God is establishing with David, it really doesn't have anything to do with David. God's going to use David, and it's going to be through his line, but God's going to establish this throne forever, not because of David's faithfulness. In fact, David's going to blow it big time. Not because of Solomon's faithfulness. Solomon's going to multiply wives. Solomon is going to use the wisdom that God has given him to do all sorts of things that are only selfish and to build his kingdom and not God's. And so it's not about these guys. It's about God's ultimate plan of redemption, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And see, when you look at your dreams and you look at your aspirations, you need to see them through the lens of God's plan, his ultimate plan. Because the same way that David fit into that ultimate plan of God, you fit into that as well. You, you are not an accident. You're not here just to take up space or to suck some oxygen. You, you have a, a part of God's ultimate plan the same way that David did. And how do you fit into that? And you need to begin to see your life and your dreams and your aspirations, your failures, everything about your life, you need to begin to see that through the ultimate plan of God because he's not done yet. Part of his plan has been fulfilled through Jesus in Jesus' first coming, the first advent, as Jesus came and he established partial redemption, right? He, he established sort of the framework for mankind in the world to be redeemed, but he hasn't redeemed it fully yet. The, the earth, Romans says, is groaning. It's calling out for redemption. You and I are calling out for redemption. Every time you sin and you confess it to God, you're basically groaning and saying, God, I can't wait to shed this sin nature. Because although we've been forgiven, we haven't been fully redeemed, yet God sees us that way. God sees us perfect. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. Those that he has justified he also has glorified because God isn't in time he he sees us perfect and and that kind of goes back to the whole issue of can you lose your salvation because if you've been justified saved redeemed then you've already been glorified and God certainly isn't going to take that away from you but all of this is part of the ultimate plan of God what God has in store for you just like with David. David, all he could see was, I want to build a temple. I got the resources, God. I've got the plan. I've got the ingenuity. I have the energy. And God says, I don't need you. I don't need all of that. Okay, I'll let you go ahead and build me a house, but you're not going to do it. You're just going to gather the materials. Your son's going to do it. That's cool. It'll look nice. That'll be a, a neat thing for a little while. It's going to get destroyed, but it'll be fun. But it really isn't a big deal to me because I don't dwell in a house. And, and it, it's sort of... Like what the Lord allows for us to do. Okay, you want to you wanna do that? You want to go there? You want to accomplish that? Go ahead. It's really not part of my ultimate plan. And, and know that I'm probably going to divert you and veer you away from some of these things that you really want to do. He'll, he'll allow you 
to go and do some of these other things. And, but what's his ultimate plan for you? Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And we begin to see David's response. We saw his dream. We saw God's word to David, which is exactly what we need on a regular basis is a clear word from God so that we can filter all of our thoughts and our dreams and our hopes through that so that we know what his purpose is for us. And David has been given a clear word from God. And now when you receive that, then it's up to you how you're going to respond to it. And David goes in and he sits before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? That's a great way to start. Who am I? You're absolutely right, God. You chose me. You delivered me. You've protected me. I should have been dead a long time ago. How did all those spears miss me? You know, here they are in a, in a room and Saul can't hit David with a spear. Time and again, God has delivered David from the clutches of death. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. You notice David is no longer referring to himself as king. He's now seeing himself rightly related to God. And when you see yourself rightly related to God, and you see yourself rightly related to God's kingdom, it changes everything. As long as you think you're the king of your kingdom, then it's going to be all about you. And it's going to be all about your plans. And it's going to be all about your hopes and your dreams. And so when they don't happen, you're going to have a pity party. And you're going to feel sorry for yourself. And you're going to moan and groan and complain. But when you see yourself in light of God's kingdom, that you're a servant in God's kingdom, and it's ultimately His plan. And God, if you've called me to scrub toilets in your kingdom, if that's what you have for me, God, then I am absolutely and completely surrendered to that. Whatever you have. Because I don't want to be doing anything with, with any monicum of success that you're not in. See, you can have all of the hopes and dreams that you've ever wanted, but if God's not in it, they're empty. They're as empty as the dreams you have every night. If that's what your life is, if your life is, is just like a, a fantasy, then you're living a meaningless life, a life without substance. David begins to realize that he's a servant in God's kingdom. Remember how Jesus told the 70 that he sent out? He said, I want you to tell them something very simple, that God's kingdom has come near. That's what the entire Bible is about, because God created Adam and Eve in his kingdom, the Garden of Eden. It was his kingdom. It was untried perfection. God was sovereign in their lives. There was no question about that. And then they trampled on that and they chose to step outside the kingdom of God. And so for the entirety of the scriptures, God is establishing once again his kingdom. He's building the framework for when he can come and rule and reign in his kingdom. But in the meantime, although he's not doing that corporately, he can do that in your life individually. He wants to be the king of your life. Ultimately, God's going to be the king of the entire universe. He's going to set up his kingdom once again. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord, that he is king. 
But you have the opportunity to do that now, to rightly relate to him as your king, as a servant in his kingdom. Not the king of your kingdom, but a servant in his kingdom. And David realizes that. For your word's sake, he says. David understands the importance of God's word. In fact, the Bible tells us that God elevates his word even above his own name. God's word needs to reign supreme in your life. You need to be submitted to his word. He's given you a final revelation. So often people say, well, how come God doesn't speak in the clouds and write it on the sky and so I could really know that he's speaking to me? Well, he did something better. He gave you a very concise, easy to wrap your mind around book that you can go to at any time and hear from him. That's much better. And you need to be submitted to his word in your life. He says, for your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. David initially was impressed with himself. He had arrived at where he wanted to be. He had achieved ultimate success. But the word of God came and spoke to him and drove him to his knees. And drove him to a place where he now recognizes, I am nothing. I have nothing except what's been given to me by the Lord. And you guys, that's where he wants all of us to be. And it has nothing to do with how much success you've had or how much money you have or how much talent you have. Because some of the most prideful, arrogant, distant from God, detached from his leadership in their life, people are, are people that, that have nothing. But they're still the, the king of their kingdom. They see themselves as the ultimate authority in their life. It doesn't matter how much you have. You might be sitting here saying, well, I, you know, I'm not David. I, I'm not a king. I don't have these things. That isn't the issue. The issue is, who is the king of your life? Who rules you? Who defines you? How do you interpret your dreams and goals and aspirations? You've got plans, but God has better ones. You, you, you can plan your way, but the Lord wants to direct your steps. And if you're not allowing him to do that, then you're the king of your kingdom. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And verse 22 is a great verse for monotheism, the, the, the fact that we believe there is one God. There's none other. There are many gods in this world, many things that get propped up to compete with God, but they fall on their face. There's none like him. And who are you worshiping? You have a choice of, of worshiping all of these lesser gods and becoming like them because whatever you worship, that's what you'll become like. And so if you, you want to achieve ultimate success in life, if you, if you truly want to, to be fulfilled and find purpose and meaning in life, then you have to relate to God and worship him properly so that you'll become like him and not like the lesser gods that you're serving. There's none like you. There's none beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, 
and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. Guys, something that we need to understand about God is he cares about his glory. Now, that's something difficult for us to understand because we think it's arrogant. But we need, what we need to know is that God is completely free from sin. He's holy. He's distinct from us. There's no arrogance. There's no pride. In fact, it would be sinful for God to not care about his glory because he's perfect. He's distinct from us. And so this 21st century notion that God isn't that concerned with his glory in in this sort of gutting the church of any talk of the glory of God or the holiness of God, we need to understand that the entire Bible is filled with sentences like what we just read. Who is like you, O Lord? There's none like you. You're worthy of our worship. We want to make your name great. It's about his kingdom. That's what our life is about. And so if you look at your life and you feel like a failure, you feel like you haven't achieved anything, you feel like you haven't really risen to that place that you wanted to, you guys, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's not about making your name great. It's about making his name great. It's about making Jesus famous. That's all that matters. And as long as you're rightly relating to that goal... See, David had a dream and he kind of conveniently made it seem like it was a spiritual dream to make God a house. But in reality, it was about David. It was about his plan. It was about his kingdom making a beautiful house for the God of Israel. Because look at this pathetic tent. We can't have this And David justified it in his mind that it was for the Lord. But God had to show him it wasn't for the Lord, it was for him. So much of what we do that we think is for God is not for God, it's for us. And God says, care about my glory, care about my kingdom, get out of the way. You have your plans, I've got better ones. I've got better plans for you. That will find their ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up and rule and reign And do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations, and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord God of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. This chapter, the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God makes with David, you guys, it it ought to absolutely revolutionize the way we look at our lives. 
We've got our plans. But before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for David. David thought he was doing great things. And God said, David, just trust me. I'm going to blow your mind with what I have planned. My son, the Messiah, the king of the universe is going to sit on your throne. And I want you to submit to that. God has great plans for us, you guys. And you need to be able to see your life in right relationship to that. And until you do, you'll always be on the outside looking in. You'll always feel like something isn't right. Something doesn't fit. I feel like I'm without purpose. I'm, I'm just sort of going through the motions. I'm living for the mundane. There's nothing mundane about the Christian life. Because when you rightly relate to your king and you begin to be on his mission, nothing else matters. None of your plans, none of your dreams, none of your hopes that go unfulfilled matter to you anymore. Because you recognize, I've got my plans, I've got my dreams, but God has better ones and I want to go with those. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the entirety of the Bible is about you. We thank you, Lord, that you showed David this lesson so that we could glean from it. And Jesus, we put you on the throne of our lives. We want to rightly relate to you as our king. We want to be servants in your kingdom. Lord, we just ask that this week we would be reminded that we're on mission with you, that God, we're on your mission to go and to engage this culture, this context this place, this community, Lord, with the gospel, with the most amazing message that was delivered to us by our King. And Lord, give us opportunities. Use us. We're your servants, Lord. We want to rightly relate to you. And we pray these things for your fame, Jesus, and in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, you may do so at our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.